This is section 39 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 39, The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 1864, part 3. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 23, 1864, The New Chinese Temple. Being duly provided with passes, through the courtesy of our cultivated barbaric friend Ah Wei, outside business agent of the Ning Yong Company, we visited the new Chinese temple again yesterday, in company with several friends. After suffocating in the smoke of burning punk and josh-lights, and the infernal odors of opium and all kinds of edibles cooked in an unchristian manner, until we were becoming imbued with Buddhism, and beginning to lose our nationality, and imbibe, unasked, Chinese instincts, we finally found our way, who roused us from our lethargy and saved us to our religion and our country by merely breathing the old, touching words, so simple and yet so impressive, and withal so familiar to those whose blessed privilege it has been to be reared in the midst of a lofty and humanizing civilization. How do, gentlemen? Take a drink? By the magic of that one phrase, our noble American instincts were spirited back to us again, in all their pristine beauty and glory. The polished cabinet of wines and liquors stood on a table in one of the gorgeous halls of the temple, and behold, an American, with those same noble instincts of his race, has been worshipping there before us, Mr. Stiggers of the Alta. His photograph lay there, the countenance subdued by accustomed wine, and reposing upon it appeared that same old smile of serene and ineffable imbecility which has so endeared it to all whose happiness it has been to look upon it. That apparition filled us with forebodings. They proved to be well-founded, a sad Chinaman, the sanctified barkeeper of the temple, threw open the cabinet with a sigh, exposed the array of empty decanters, sighed again, murmured, "'By and by, Stiggins been here,' and burst into tears. No one with any feeling would have tortured the poor pagan for further explanations when manifestly none were needed, and we turned away in silence, and dropped a sympathetic tear in a fragrant rat-pie, which had just been brought in to be set before the great god Josh. The temple is thoroughly fitted up now, and is resplendent with tinsel and all descriptions of finery. The house and its embellishments cost about eighty thousand dollars. About the 5th of September it will be thrown open for public inspection, and will be well worth visiting. There is a band of tapestry extending around a council-room in the second story, which is beautifully embroidered in a variety of intricate designs wrought in bird's feathers, and gold, and silver thread, and silk fibers of all colors. It cost a hundred and fifty dollars a yard, and was made by hand. The temple was dedicated last Friday night, and since then priests and musicians have kept up the ceremonies with noisy and unflagging zeal. The priests march backwards and forward, reciting prayers or something in a droning sing-song way, varied by discordant screeches somewhat like the cawing of crows, and they kneel down and get up and spin around and march again, and still the infernal racket of gongs, drums, and fiddles goes on with its hideous accompaniment, 
and still the spectator grows more and more smothered and dizzy in the close atmosphere of punk smoke and opium fumes on a divan in one hall two priests clad in royal robes of figured blue silk and crimson skullcaps lay smoking opium and had kept it up until they looked as drunk and spongy as the photograph of the mild and beneficent stiggers one of them was a high aristocrat and a distinguished man among the chinamen being no less a personage than the chief priest of the temple and sing-song or president of the great ning-yong company his fingernails are actually longer than the fingers they adorn and one of them is twisted in spirals like a corkscrew there was one room half full of priests all fine dignified intelligent-looking men like ah wei and all dressed in long blue silk robes and blue and red topped skull-caps with broad brims turned up all around like wash-basins the new temple is ablaze with gilded ornamentation and those who are fond of that sort of thing would do well to stand ready to accept the forthcoming public invitation the san francisco daily morning call august twenty third eighteen sixty four inexplicable news from san jose we have before us a letter from an intelligent correspondent dated san jose san jose last sunday we had previously ordered this correspondent to drop us a line in case anything unusual should happen in san jose during the period of his sojourn there now that we have got his chatty letter however we prefer for reasons of our own to make extracts from it instead of publishing it in full considering the expense we were at in sending a special correspondent so far we are sorry to be obliged to entertain such a preference the very first paragraph in this blurred and scrawling letter pictured our friend's condition and filled us with humiliation it was abhorrent to us to think that we who had so well earned and so proudly borne the appellation of m t the moral phenomenon should live to have such a letter addressed to us it begins thus mr mark twain sir sarosay's beautiful place flowers or maybe it's me smells delicious like sp 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 irrits turpentine hiccups again don't mind them had em three days as we remarked before it is very humiliating so is the next paragraph full of newspaper men reporters one from alta one from flag one from bulletin two from mooring call one from sacramento union one from carson independent and all drunk all drunk but me by george i'm astonished the next paragraph is still worse been out to leyland of the occidental and livingston in the warham springs and steve with four buggies and a horse which is a sp splendid place splendid place here follow compliments to nolan conductor of the morning train for his kindness in allowing the writer to ride on the engine where he could have room to enjoy himself strong you know and to the engineer for his generosity in stopping at nearly every station to give people a chance to come on board you understand then his wandering thoughts turn again affectionately to sarose and its wonders sarose's lovely place shade trees all down both side streets 
and in the middle and elsewhere, and gardens, second street back of Continental Hotel, with a new church and a tall scaffolding. I watched her an hour, but can't understand it. I don't see how they got her in. I don't see how they going to get her out. Corralled for good, perhaps. <laughs> Them hiccups again. Comes from associating with drunken beasts. Our special next indulges in some maudlin felicity over the prospect of riding back to the city in the night on the back of the fire-breathing locomotive, and this suggests to his mind a song which he remembers to have heard somewhere. That is all he remembers about it, though, for the finer details of its language appear to have caved into a sort of general chaos among his recollections. The bower stood on the burring dock, whence all but him had f flowed, f floored, f fled, the f flumes that lit the, the rattle's back sh shone round him o'er the shed. I don't know what's the matter with that song. It don't appear to have any sense in it somehow. But she used to be about the fine f fusion. Soothing slumber overtook the worn and weary pilgrim at this point, doubtless, and the world may never know what beautiful thought it met upon the threshold and drove back within the portals of his brain to perish in forgetfulness. After this effort, we trust the public will bear with us if we allow our special correspondent to rest from his exhausting labors for a season, a long season, say, a year or two. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 23, 1864. Comanche Items, Sanitary Contributions. Business is progressing in lively style at the Monitor Yard. Some 275 hands, including about 50 boys, swarm in and about the progressing hull, and all appear to work with a will under the keen superintending eye of Mr. Ryan and his able assistants. On Saturday evening, after the men had struck work, they were invited to assist at a grand flag-raising. A tall tapering pole was planted amid general enthusiasm, and a splendid American ensign hoisted to the truck with cheers to its constellated glories and toasts for its ultimate triumph. Mr. J. W. Willard, the gentleman who attends to the contribution box placed at the entrance gate for aid to the Sanitary Commission Fund, informs us that visitors contribute their two bits with cheerfulness. In many instances, coin of larger denomination are dropped, and change refused to be taken. On Sunday, a general visiting time, the amount contributed was $273, and yesterday the box received from 50 to $60. The monitor box promises a good source. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 24, 1864 supernatural impudence. All that Mr. Stiggers of the Alta has to say about his monstrous conduct in the Ning-Yong Temple, day before yesterday, in drinking up all the liquors in the establishment, and breaking the heart of the wretched Chinaman in whose charge they were placed, a crushing exposure of which we conceived it our duty to publish yesterday, is the following. We found a general festival, a sort of celestial, free and easy, going on, on arrival, and were waited on in the most polite manner by Ah Wee, who, although a young man, is thoroughly well educated, very intelligent, and speaks English quite fluently. 
with him we took a glass of wine and a cigar before the high altar and with a general shaking hands all around our part of the ceremonies was concluded that is the coolest piece of effrontery we have met with in many a day he concluded his part of the ceremonies by taking a glass of wine and a cigar we should think a man who had acted as mr stiggers did upon that occasion would feel like keeping perfectly quiet about it such flippant gaiety of language ill becomes him under the circumstances we are prepared now to look upon the most flagrant departures from propriety on the part of that misguided young creature without astonishment we would not even be surprised if his unnatural instincts were to prompt him to come back at us this morning and attempt to exonerate himself in his feeble way from the damning charge we have fastened upon him of gobbling up all the sacred whisky belonging to those poor uneducated chinamen and otherwise strewing his path with destruction and devastation and leaving nothing but tears and lamentation and starvation and misery behind him we should not even be surprised if he were to say hard things about us and expect people to believe them he may possibly tremble and be silent but it would not be like him if he did the san francisco daily morning call august twenty fourth eighteen sixty four a dark transaction a gloom pervaded the police court as the sable visages of mary wilkinson and maria brooks with their cloud of witnesses entered within its consecrated walls each to prosecute and defend respectively in counter-charges of assault and battery the cases were consolidated and crimination and recrimination ruled the hour mary said she was a meek-hearted christian who loved her enemies including maria and had prayed for her on the very morning of the day when the latter threw a pail of water and a rock against her maria said she didn't throw that she wasn't a christian herself and that mary had the very devil in her the case would always have remained in doubt but mrs hammond overshadowed the court and flashed defiance at counsel from her eyes while indignation and eloquence burst from her heaving bosom like the long pent-up fires of a volcano whenever any one presumed to intimate that her statement might be improved in point of credibility by a slight explanation even the gravity of the court was somewhat disturbed when three hundred weight of black majesty hauteur and conscious virtue rolled on to the witness-stand like the forequarter of a sunburnt whale a living embodiment of desdemona othello jupiter josh and juhilikins she appeared as counsel for maria brooks and scornfully repudiated the relationship when citizen sam platt esq prefaced his interrogation with the endearing auntie i'm not your auntie she roared i'm mrs hammond upon which the citizen s p esq repeated his assurances of distinguished regard and caved a little mrs hammond rolled off the stand and out of the courtroom like the fragment of a thunder-cloud leaving the congregation as she called it in convulsions mary brooks and mary wilkinson were both convicted of assault and battery and ordered to appear for sentence the san francisco daily morning call august twenty fourth eighteen sixty four ingratitude george johnson yesterday had his roommate m fink arrested for stealing one hundred and fourteen dollars from him 
Johnson says Fink is an old friend of his, and came to him three months ago and said he had no money, could get no work to do, and had no place to sleep. He had previously been tending bar at the Mazurka Saloon. Johnson has shared his bed with him, and paid his washing and board bills from that time until a few weeks ago, when the fellow got a situation of some kind on one of the steamers. He still continued to share Johnson's room, in the Wells Building, corner of Clay and Montgomery Streets, however, when in port. Johnson left him in bed yesterday morning early, and when he returned, he missed his money and his friend the former from the bureau drawer, and the latter from the bed. We consider that this only confirms what we have always said, namely, that the heart of man is desperately wicked. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 24, 1864 Police Contributions Yesterday, F. L. Post, property clerk of the police department, paid over the fourth and fifth installments of the monthly contributions of the police force to the sanitary fund, amounting, in the aggregate, to a fraction under five hundred dollars. This makes a total of two thousand five hundred and sixty-four dollars in gold received by the sanitary commission from the same source since the beginning of the present year, and speaks volumes for the liberality and patriotism of our police. Chief Burke contributes fifteen dollars monthly. Officer Cook, twelve dollars and a half. Officer Hesse, twelve dollars. Captains Lees and Baker, ten dollars each, and none of the members of the force less than five dollars. These donations are purely voluntary. While upon this subject, we would mention that R. G. Sneath, treasurer of the Sanitary Committee, designs having a beautiful certificate engraved, suitable for framing, as a parlor ornament, and one of these will be filled out and presented to each person who contributes ten dollars for the relief of the sick and wounded soldiers of the Union. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 25, 1864. The Theatres, etc. Metropolitan. Mazeppa was performed last evening, in the presence of about two thousand people. The personation of the Tartar Prince was assumed by the manageress herself, Mrs. Emily Jordan. The part involves some rather risky horsemanship, and, considering the sultriness of the weather, a refreshing scantiness of clothing, which, perhaps, had not the least to do with causing the presence of the crowd. We suppose, as Mrs. Malaprope says, comparisons are odorous, but we must give Jordan the credit of doing the runs in better style than Menken. The general performance of the role had not the dash and abandon of that many-named woman, but the equestrian portion was decidedly superior, and it surprises us to learn that the actress, up to the time of consenting to play the part, had been entirely unfamiliar with equestrianism. We must therefore add to her merit of gracefulness the quality of courage, moral and physical. It would make this spectacle more generally effective if greater attention were paid to other parts of it than that assigned to Mazeppa. The scenery and appointments are very well indeed, but the cast is miserably defective. The people act with a hesitation and timidity that lead one to believe they expected the wild horse to break loose from its halterings behind the scenes, and distribute a few kicks among them, which, by the way, not a few of the supers richly deserve. Some of the combats were ridiculous, and were openly derided by the audience. 
Mr. Phelps, who deserves every credit for his untiring industry and ability as a stage manager, had better get those gay swordsmen together and drill them thoroughly. Mazeppa will be repeated tonight and every night this week until further notice. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 25, 1864. The Ladies' Fair. The great Union Hall in Howard Street yesterday afternoon was swarming with a busy hive of ladies and artisans hurrying up the decorations and working against time in the effort to get all things in readiness for the great fair in behalf of the Christian Commission, which was to begin in the evening. The chaos of flags, evergreens, framework, timbers, etc., was already beginning to take upon itself outlines of grace and forms of beauty under the deft handling of the ladies and their assistants. A charming floral temple stands in the center of the hall. It is octagonal in shape, is composed of a cluster of evergreen arches which come together at the top like the rafters of a dome, and are surmounted by an eagle, not a live one. The bases upon which these arches rest form counters, whereupon are displayed baskets of fresh flowers for sale, one or two large bouquets among them are perfect miracles of beauty. A succession of ample arches, swathed in evergreens and draped with flags and embellished with various designs, extends entirely around the sides of the hall. Under these are miniature shops, in which the loveliest possible clerks will stand and dispose of all manner of wares at ruinously moderate prices, considering the object to which the profits are to be applied. There is one arch which bears this motto, Santa Clara's Offering to the Soldiers, and under it were five handsome young ladies and two pretty glass-work baskets laden with fresh flowers, a most extraordinary offering to an army of wounded soldiers, it occurred to us. Over other alcoves were such mottoes as God is our trust, M. E. Churches, In hoc signo vinces, surmounted by a stately cross. Union is strength, etc. Number one of these alcoves will be occupied by ladies from Oakland, number two by Miss Baker and her school of this city, number three by members of Dr. Wadsworth's and Dr. Anderson's churches, Presbyterian, number four is erected by Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians of Santa Clara, number five by the United Methodists of San Francisco, number six by the Congregationalists, number seven by the Episcopalians, number eight by members of Mr. Kittredge's congregation, number nine and ten by the Baptists. At the left of the stage, under a splendor of silken flags, the smallest and fairest of hands will dispense some of the most useful and useless things to be found in the fair, cigars and soap. That sentence does not seem to sound right somehow, but there is no time now to skirmish around it and find out what is the matter with it. At the other corner of the stage is the Christian soda fountain. At the right of the entrance door they were building a moss-covered well around an old oaken bucket which is to be filled with lemonade. Why not bay rum, or Jamaican rum, or something of that kind? This is Jacob's Well and will be carried on exclusively by Rachel in the costume of her day. On the left of the entrance is a cool, dripping grotto, built by some counterfeiter of nature, out of pasteboard rocks. 
the effect is heightened by pendant sprays of spanish moss and a stuffed duck sitting placidly on a shelf in the grotto renders the deception complete no duck could look more complacent or more perfectly satisfied with his condition or more natural or more like a genuine stuffed duck than he does it was hard to resist the temptation to squeeze his shelf to see if he would squawk one of the reception rooms was filled with fine oil paintings loaned by the artists and picture dealers of the city the opening by half-past eight in the evening union hall was pretty well crowded with gentlemen and ladies and the handsome decorations of the place showed to all the better advantage by contrast with the shifting panorama of life and light by which they were surrounded the famous presidio band opened the ceremonies with superb music after which the rev mr blaine pastor of the howard street methodist church offered up a fervent prayer for the success of this effort in behalf of the christian commission mayor coon was then introduced and delivered an earnest and eloquent address in which he set forth the objects had in view by the commission and urged the importance of extending to it a generous aid and encouragement w h l barnes esq followed in a stirring speech of some length which was well received the several speakers labored under great disadvantage because of the immense space it was necessary to fill with their voices and the noise and confusion consequent on such a vast gathering of people but a fraction of whom were seated and who were too impatient to stand still many minutes together after a short interval a fragile young man appeared suddenly in the center of the stage dazzled the audience for a single second like a spark and went out previous to going out however he whispered something and immediately afterward the Europeans, who have so often delighted our citizens with their music stepped upon the stage and sang a beautiful quartet about the flag during the course of the evening mrs grotchen sang twice as did also mrs tourney the singers found it as hard work to sing in such a place as the speakers did to talk great credit is due the presidio band the Europeans, and the two ladies for volunteering their services last evening without compensation to-night the grand feature will be a series of beautiful tableaux in which the most lovely young ladies and gentlemen in the city will appear charles alper's band have volunteered for this evening and there will doubtless be some fine vocal music in addition the san francisco daily morning call august twenty sixth eighteen sixty four a confederacy caged when wine is in wit is out so remarked judge shepherd yesterday morning when j f dolan offered intoxication as an excuse for belching treason and by the way speaking of judge shepherd it is every day becoming more and more apparent that in his incumbency the people have got the right man in the right place the judge further observed that when a man is under the influence of liquor being too bold and independent for caution he is very likely to let out his real sentiments and that although this dolan pretends to be a loyal man when sober he had no confidence in the profession of loyalty in a man who when intoxicated would heap curses on everything pertaining to the union cause declare himself a strong jefferson davis man wish for the destruction of the union army and that he was in the southern army with a musket on his shoulder as did dolan 
Mr. Riley, in whose saloon Dolan began his disloyal manifestation, and who is evidently a thorough-going Union man, created a sensation in the courtroom while testifying, very decidedly in his favor, by giving forcible expression to his feelings on the subject. Dolan had gone up to his counter and called for a Jefferson Davis drink. He wanted none other than a Jefferson Davis drink. Mr. R. told him he'd be damned if anybody could get a Jefferson Davis drink in his house, and incontinently turned him out, telling him at the same time that, but for the fact of his being drunk, he would give him a damn thrashing. Dolan, notwithstanding his good loyalty when sober, was held in the sum of one thousand dollars to appear at the county court. A little loyal when sober, and intently disloyal when the tongue-strings are loosened by liquor, and such are copperheads. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 26, 1864. Good from Louderback. During the examination of Dolan yesterday, for uttering treasonable language, when Mr. Lawrence, Dolan's counsel, proposed to offer evidence to prove that the defendant was not a disloyal man when sober, Mr. Louderback, the young prosecuting attorney of the police court, happily observed that it would be like proving a man's piety as an excuse in a prosecution for using profane and obscene language. The defense was squarely met, and waived the excuse. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 27, 1864. How to Cure Him of It In a court in Mina Street, between First and Second, they keep a puppy tied up which is insignificant as to size, but formidable as to yelp. We are unable to sleep after nine o'clock in the morning on account of it. Sometimes the subject of these remarks begins at three in the morning and yowls straight ahead for a week. We have lain awake many mornings out of pure distress on account of that puppy, because we know that if he does not break himself of that habit, it will kill him. It is bound to do it. We have known thousands and thousands of cases like it. But it is easily cured. Give the creature a double handful of strychnine, dissolved in a quart of prussic acid, and it will soothe him down and make him as quiet and docile as a dried herring. The remedy is not expensive, and is at least worthy of a trial, even for the novelty of the thing. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 27, 1864. The Fair. The success of the Fair of the Christian Commission is no longer conjectural. It is a demonstrated fact. The receipts of the opening night were over $1,100, those of the second, $1,800 and as there was a considerable larger crowd in attendance last evening than upon either of the former occasions, it is fair to presume that the receipts amounted to at least $2,000, making a total up to the present time of about $5,000. It is proposed to continue the fair almost a fortnight longer, and inasmuch as its popularity is steadily increasing, it requires no gift of prophecy to enable one to pronounce it a grand success in advance. The Prince of Bands, the Presidio, volunteered again last evening, and delighted the audience with its superb music. There was vocal music, also, of the highest degree of excellence. The first in order was a cavatina by Mrs. Gleason, followed by a ballad, Brightest Angel, by Mrs. Shattuck, Grand Aria from Maritana, by Mrs. John Gregg of the Italian Opera, Who Will Care for Mother Now, ballad by Miss Mowry, 
Heart Bowed Down by Weight of Woe, from Opera of the Bohemian Girl by John Gregg. These several musical gems were well received and highly appreciated. This evening the tableau will be resumed as follows. 1. Landing of the Pilgrims. 2. Crinoline Avenged. 3. Statuary. 4. Execution of Lady Jane Grey. 5. Winning the Gloves. 6. Statuary. Fair Rosamond and Queen Eleanor. The tableau the other evenings were got ten up in fine taste and gave great satisfaction, albeit while the one representing the Queen of Sheba at the court of King Solomon was before the house, the effect was unduly heightened by an assistant in citizen's dress rushing bald-headed into court before he discovered that the curtain was still up. The court betrayed surprise, and so would the original Solomon, if the same man in the same modern costume had ever appeared so unexpectedly before him. The intrusion was not premeditated. The gentleman was very deaf, so deaf, indeed, that he could not see that the curtain had not yet been lowered. We forbear to urge any one to go to the fair to-night, for the chances are that there will be people enough there to strain the sides of the building, a little, anyhow. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 27, 1864. Arrest of another of the robbing gang. Sheriff Adams learned a few days ago, says the San Jose Patriot of the 24th, that a man named R. F. Hall, a farmer and stock-raiser living on the Salinas, fifteen miles south of San Juan, was an accessory before the fact in the robbing of the Los Angeles stages. That it was at his, Hall's, house the robbers were harbored, and that he lent them a gun and hatchet with a full knowledge of their felonious purpose. These facts coming to the mind of the sheriff, he dispatched under Sheriff Hall last week to make the arrest, which he succeeded in doing without difficulty on Friday last. The under-sheriff found R. F. Hall at home, upon his ranch, took him to Monterey, and surrendered him to the authorities of that county. The under-sheriff states that Hall is an intelligent man, and a well-to-do stock-raiser, having six hundred head of cattle, a wife, and three children. We learn that, after long conversations with both Hall and his wife, the under-sheriff obtained a good deal of information in regard to the combination of robbing gangs, and, finding the officer acquainted with Hall's complicity with the robbers, a confession of the facts was obtained from him. Hall, like all others engaged in these schemes of robbing, is a secessionist, and both he and his wife admitted that all connected with the band were bound to each other by horrid oaths to revenge any punishment inflicted on them. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, August 30, 1864. Enthusiastic hard-money demonstration. The era of our prosperity is about to dawn on us. If it don't, it had order. The jingle of coin will still be heard in our pockets and tills. It's all right. The hard-money association held an adjourned meeting at the police courtroom last night for the express purpose of considering dollars. The meeting was an adjourned one. It stayed adjourned. It wasn't anything else. The room was dimly lighted. It looked like the hall of Aeolus. Sadly sat some ten or a dozen of the galvanized protectors of our prosperity. They looked for all the world like an infernal council in conclave. They were dumb. But 
what great plans for the suppression of the green-backed dragon were born in that silence still remains hid in the arcana of the mysterious cabal they said nothing they did nothing like fixed statues they sat all wrapped in contemplation of their mighty scheme they didn't adjourn for from the first it was an adjourned meeting and it stayed adjourned soon they all left parted quietly mysteriously awfully the lights were turned out and nothing more money is still hard the san francisco daily morning call august thirtieth eighteen sixty four chinese railroad obstructions the chinese in this state are becoming civilized to a fearful extent one of them was arrested the other day in the act of preparing for a grand railroad disaster on the sacramento valley railroad if these people continue to imbibe american ideas of progress they will be turning their attention to highway robbery and other enlightened pursuits they are industrious the san francisco daily morning call august thirty first eighteen sixty four shiner number one that industrious wild shiner with his heavy brass machine for testing the strength of human muscles is around again in his original swallow-tail gray coat that same wanderer coat and machine have been ceaselessly on the move throughout california and washoe for a year or more and still they look none the worse for wear and still the generous proposition goeth up from the wanderer's lips in the by-places and upon the corners of the street one pull for a bit gentlemen and any man that pulls eighteen hundred pounds can thrive over again without expense and still the wanderer seeketh the eighteen hundred pounder up and down in the earth and findeth him not and still the public strive for that gratis pull and still they are disappointed still do they fall short of the terms by a matter of half a ton or so go your ways and give the ubiquitous shiner a chance to find the man upon whom it is his mission upon earth to confer the blessing of a second pull without expense the san francisco daily morning call august thirty first eighteen sixty four mayhem gentle julia who spends eleven months of each year in the county jail on an average bit a joint clear off one of the fingers of johanna o'hara an old offender chicken thief in the dark cell in the station-house yesterday the other women confined there say that is the way gentle julia always fights the san francisco daily morning call august thirty first eighteen sixty four strong as samson and meek as moses ellen clark and peter connerty were up yesterday charged with an assault and battery committed on dr s s foster gymnast and athlete at callahan's building on dupont street the doctor says he was assailed by these persons without any provocation on his part and suffered at their hands divers indignities and abuses but being under a vow made some years since never to strike any one thereafter no matter what might be the aggravation he quietly dropped his cane folded his hands and submitted king solomon says it is the glory of a man to pass by an offence behold what a glorious fellow dr foster must be he declared that although no three men in the profession can handle him yet if a person were to spit in his face he would not resent it that's a high order of christian meekness and forbearance a sublime instance 
Other witnesses, however, tell a story less credible to this prodigy of physical and moral firmness, and as they were about equally balanced in the weight of their testimony, the doctor was allowed time to procure some preponderating evidence. So the case was held over until today. End of section 39